Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. I pray, amen, amen. Everybody say amen. Amen. You may be seated. I want to publicly thank Bishop and Brother Mason, amen, for standing in this position on the Sundays and Wednesdays in our absence. And as soon as those things get on podcasts, I'll become a listener, amen, undoubtedly. <clears throat> Particles and Proverbs, let me just set a little stage here for our study tonight. It is without argument that the Bible is a book of redemption. We see that in the pages of Scripture from the beginning to the end and throughout. It is a book of redemption. It begins, of course, in the Garden of Eden with the fall of mankind. It begins with transgression, but it ends in the book of Revelation with a wedding. There's a a severing, if you will, of a relationship in the beginning, but there's the regrouping in the, the, the total welding, if you will, of that relationship in the book of Revelation. So what was bo- broken from the start ends up mended and it culminates in a marriage. And so I believe we could all agree here tonight that the Bible is a very spiritual book. There's a lot of spiritual truths that we find in there for our own personal lives. And it shows us it, it, in the Bible, it shows and demarks the path to salvation. Uh, we're without excuse whenever it comes to knowing uh, what it takes to be saved or how to be saved because the Bible highlights all those steps in the very word of God. But outside just being a book of redemption and being able to show us a path to salvation, the Bible also is a very practical book. There are even some books among the 66 that probably lean more toward the practical side of things than it does even what we would term the spiritual side of things. But it's a very practical book. As a matter of fact, if you will remember in uh, Matthew, I believe it is, Matthew chapter number 6, Jesus teaching his disciples how to pray. They wanted to know one thing for sure before he left his earthly ministry, and that was to teach us how to pray if you remember in that Lord's Prayer, or in the prayer that Jesus taught them, he taught his disciples, there's that one line, if you've memorized the Lord's Prayer, thy will be done in earth, everybody say in earth, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. And so what I'm conveying is this, it's important for us not to overlook God's will to be done in the earth due to just assuming that God's will is just a spiritual thing. God's will goes beyond, or if you want to call it below, its scope is beyond just spiritual. It is also God's will very practical. God's will at times is very practical in our minds. It's not just a heavenly matter. It's his will also being done in the earth. And it oftentimes being done in the earth follows a path of practical things, practical measures uh, by which his will can be done in the earth. And so Proverbs, that brings us to Proverbs. Proverbs then is one of those books that uh, can be viewed as a very practical book. Is one way, if we would follow the principles and the Proverbs of Proverbs, it's one of the ways in which we can aid or practice God's will being done 
in the earth. And so it is one of the books of wisdom in the book, in, in the word of God. It talks a lot about wisdom and oftentimes depicts her as a lady, the female gender. But wisdom, the subject of wisdom is spoken of. It's played out in how uh, we need to err, if you will, on the side of, of being wise and not making those knee-jerk reactions, but trying to make God-jerk reactions, <laughs> if I could call it that. And wisdom in the, in the passages of Proverbs is played out in the, here it is, how we respond to God or how we have a God consciousness. True wisdom, you can label all kinds of ways and you can open up uh, your Webster Dictionary and define it by that. But if we go to the book of Proverbs, wisdom is this. Wisdom is acting or responding in a way that we're conscious of God in our action or in our response. Everybody say, yeah. Shake your hand and say, yeah. And that's having a God consciousness that doesn't just happen at service time, but in the daily affairs of our life, in the practical areas of our life. And so from the very onset in the verses that I read to you tonight, Solomon told us the purpose. In those first few verses, he has capsulated the, the purpose of the book of Proverbs. He said, namely, it was to teach people how to live. That's deep and profound. But it was to teach people how to live. More notably, might I tell you, it was to teach people how to live in the world every day. Amen. Not necessarily within a church setting, yes, that, but also just in the world. And so he had something in mind because, you know, sometimes you run into people that just don't have teachable spirits. They know it all. Everything there was ever to know about anything, they know it. You're not going to teach them anything. You're not going to tell them anything. You're not going to share anything with them that they don't know because all wisdom dies with them. It's kind of like the book of Job said. Job told some of his friends. He said, whenever you die, all wisdom's dying with you. Why? Because they thought they knew everything. He says, all wisdom dies with you. But Solomon had a different take because he believed that people could learn something. And so he states then that this learning of wisdom for the book of Proverbs, his audience, his scope of his audience was three groups, we might call them. Number one, what he had to say was for the simple-minded. You don't have to raise your hand if you think you're one of those, but that's okay. It was for the simple-minded. In other areas, it's the, those he might call the fool. The simple-minded. His audience was them. Secondly, his audience was the young men. I like to stretch that just a little bit, just not the gender of male, but for young people in general. His audience was for them. Thirdly, his audience, now this might take us kind of by surprise, but his audience was for the wise. What? Solomon, you're going you're gonna to teach or tell wise people something about wisdom? Yes, that was also his audience. So when we understand this, though, Solomon's purpose for these three audiences was this. In, in, in the Living Bible that I read to you, uh, broke this down. The purpose for the simple-minded was this. Number one, to make them wise because they're fools. So he wants to make them wise. Number two, for the young men or the young people, he wanted to warn them about some problems that, they may, that may happen, that potentially may come down their dusty roads. Number three, he wanted to teach the wise because he wanted them to become wiser. And he wanted them to become leaders. That's the way the Living Bible put it. He wanted them to become wiser and become leaders and delve into the depths of the meaning of these pearls of wisdom that he was throwing forth to them. Does anybody, can anybody answer me the question? Because some people look tired out here tonight. Can anybody answer the question this evening, 
What is the beginning of knowledge or what is the beginning of wisdom according to Scripture? Anybody answer that? It's found in Proverbs. The beginning of wisdom is boom. Thank you, Sister McGee. The beginning of wisdom, Proverbs says, or the beginning of knowledge is the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord. So again, when we realize this, the wisdom, the knowledge of just practical, everyday living starts with a godly fear more importantly defined a godly reverence or awareness. A godly reverence or awareness. So with that being said, God's will, His will will, two wills there, His will will be accomplished in earth as we maintain an awareness of Him and everything we do upon the earth. Because the beginning of wisdom or knowledge is an acknowledgement or an awareness of God. To do or to respond without a consciousness of God could very well be very unwise. Amen. And so, what is to follow in these particles of Proverbs? These are just some glimpses in the book of Proverbs in which wisdom was or maybe not (laughs) exercised. And so if you've never, I challenge you, if you've never just taken a month and read a chapter out of the book of Proverbs, one for each day, maybe this will whet your appetite for, I don't know, but if you've never attempted to do that, you may want to attempt to do that. Proverbs chapter number one, verses eight and nine. I'm reading from the Message Bible. The King James will be up on the screen. He says, pay close attention, friend, to what your father tells you. Never forget what you learned at your mother's knee. Wear their counsel like flowers in your hair, like rings on your fingers, or as the King James says, as chains about your neck. Now, it would seem here that Solomon is speaking to his selected audience of the three right now of the young people, right? Talking in those mother and father, although no matter how old you get, you don't go without having mom and dad until they pass and you still have a mother or a father that you have had in your life. But he's speaking to the young people right here. And the saying used to be something like this as uh, throughout the years, I I couldn't find the exact wording how it was, but I believe this is how the saying was uh, as I've seen it throughout the years, that whenever you're a kid, you think your parents know everything. And whenever you get into those teenage years, and might I say this might even bleed on over into 20-somethings, you believe that your parents know nothing. And then whenever you're an adult, you realize that your parents didn't know everything, but they knew far more than you gave them credit for. So, (laughs) interestingly, Solomon is telling Saying, my son, don't, don't, don't forget, don't forget or forsake the law of your mother or the instruction of your father and with good purpose. Solomon tells us, now I want you to realize this, in just the verse above, like verse 6 and 7, Solomon tells us that all wisdom or all knowledge begins with God. It's that fear of God, that awareness of God, that, that, that wisdom begins with or starts with. And as soon as he says all wisdom begins or knowledge starts with the fear of the Lord and God, then he just shifts right in that moment and then admonishes us to be attentive to the teaching of our parents. So all this wisdom starts with God and then he shifts and says, now don't forget what mom and dad say. It's interesting to me, Bishop. That he could switch so, so quickly 
that this is where it starts and then switch then right to the parents about being attentive to the teaching of our parents. It's almost as though, Brother Mason, that the default guidance of parents should have should have a moral basis that even God would direct this then to them and have us lean on them. Wisdom starts with him, but he's like, you can glean a lot too from some parents because hopefully they should have. And I say that because I know we can't just say they always have because we got some derelicts in this world but as parents. But they should have somewhat of a moral basis that if it starts with me, it can continue with some guidance from your own parents. It's just another reason why in the Old Testament, whenever the commandments of the Lord were being given to the children of Israel, listed among them, there would be the one to the Israelites that would say, Honor thy father and thy mother. And the reason why this is so important is that they knew that those, those parents, that mom and dad, would teach their children about God. And more importantly, how to live out God-honoring lives in the real world. They didn't have their heads stuffed up in the clouds. They realized their feet touched the sandy floors of the desert too. And they knew those mom and dad was going to be able to teach their children about God and how to live honoring lives in the common world. And so there's going to be that commandment then that's given, honor your mother and your father. Ephesians says that's the first commandment with promise. And I might even say tonight it has practical content in it. If we look in the book, book of Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 5 and verse 16, this is where uh, the commandment is rehearsed or it is remembered. It's spoken again. He says, Honor thy father and thy mother as the Lord thy God hath commanded thee that thy days may be prolonged and that it may go well with thee in the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. Now he's not talking that it'll go well with thee in heaven or they'll go well with thee in the celestials. No, 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 no. That it'll go well with where you're living. Amen. Honor them that it may go well with you where you're living. How do you honor them? By adhering to their teaching. By adhering to the law that's coming from your mother. Amen. And the instruction that's coming from your father. Now look, in the commandment, it, it, it's honoring both the mother and the father. Right? In Proverbs, the teaching is coming from both the mother and the father. What's this saying? What could this be saying? Well, at times, and then the, I believe his audience right now is young people, and we might have a splattering of some. But the young people sometimes, as young people sometimes, we might regard more what mom has to say than dad has to say. Or vice versa. More of what dad has to say than what mom has to say. For that matter, let's just throw some of the responsibility back on the parents. Maybe one is more instructional than the other is. Concerning the things of God. Amen. But the reality of the matter is this. We need the guidance of both. Mother and father. In our individual lives. And it's important to have it. In the book of Joshua, the Lord admonished Joshua and underscores that they should build memorials at these important junctures along the way in their life and in their travel. The reason why, he says, that you need to build memorials, for instance, whenever they crossed over the Jordan River and it split. The reason why they need to build a memorial on Gilgal and build a memorial in the middle of the Jordan River is because if you build memorials along the way as parents, then it will prompt questions in the next generation, your children, whenever they come to those memorials. Think of it for a moment. It's really quite an ingenious way for your children 
to inquire about something that you would really like to instruct them about. But you know how kids are. Sometimes when you want to instruct, they don't want to listen. And not just kids. Teenage kids. 20-something kids. Whenever you want to instruct and give guidance, they don't want to listen. But if you'll create a memorial so much that it builds curiosity in them, that the Bible says that in times to come, they will ask, what meaneth this? You can have a conversation about something that they've questioned that you wanted to talk about anyway and have a conversation with them. And since they were inquisitive about it, since it provoked conversation from them, you, you, you're more apt to have their attention because they're the one that's doing the asking. Amen? And you're just not coming forth with an explanation or instruction. Amen. The fact of the matter is this. Almost every young person, almost, I don't want to paint everybody in a dark corner, almost every young person does not see the value of instruction in the moment. Maybe I'm the only one. But Solomon said, the instruction of your father, right? The law of your mother. He says, it will prove to be an ornament of grace upon your head and a chain, as the King James says it, about your neck. Their instruction, their law, will prove to be those things in your life. When he's speaking about an ornament to our head, he's alluding to what was known as the victor's crown that one secured from running a race or participated in some type of competition they would get that little laurel floral wreath that was placed upon their head as a crown. It denoted them as the victor, the winner. The chains about the neck is alluding to some of the gold that were worn by kings and some of the placement of it upon them by kings. And therefore, when we understand this, the instruction of our parents, both mother and father, bestows then upon those who receive it. Many honors, and some of those honors, ornament upon the head, if you will, chains about the neck, their instructions, their law, become to us emblems upon our head of being victors in this life. Badges, if you will, of even noble status, kingly status. Whenever we accept the guidance of our parents, mother and father, you know what that does? That raises and accelerates our status in life. You are further ahead. If I can say it like that. You are further ahead if you can learn from the instruction of your parent than you are if you have to just ride the, hard, the, the, the road of hard knocks yourself, figure it out, make the same mistakes that they made, Right? Man, it's going to raise, it's going to increase your status. You're already going to be a victor. Proverbs chapter number 1 and verse 15. I'm reading it from the Amplified. It'll be the King James on the screen. He says, my son, do not walk in the way with them. Restrain your foot from their path. Give us a little setting here as we get settled into this particle of proverb. The overarching context right here is that Someone at this moment in time was being persuaded, uh, persuaded by a sinner to participate in some of their wrongdoing. 
They're saying, go on, walk with us, go with us, go this way, participate in the things that we participate in. And so they are being persuaded, amen, by a sinner to participate in some of their wrongdoings. And so the advice then that Solomon gives is important because the advice he gives, it really reveals the toxicity of sinners or the toxicity of sin because he tells them, not only are they told, do not walk in the way with them, But he tells them, restrain or refrain your foot from their path. Amen? And when we look at the word refrain, we look at the word restrain, either or those versions. I looked it up in the theological workbook of the Old Testament. It says this, most references imply that the right of or power to withhold something belongs ultimately to God or his representative here's the fact of the matter he said restrain or refrain your foot not feet foot in other words the path of the sinner of sin is so toxic you don't even want to get a foot i'll break it down paul mcgee style you don't even got your pinky toe in it he says you don't want to even get a foot refrain your foot from their path god of course god is a gentleman he's not going to Negate your ability to choose. From the very beginning with Adam and Eve Ford, he's always given men and women the power of choice. But here's the fact of the matter. Whenever your choice aligns with his desire, that's wisdom. When your choice aligns with his desire and will, then he comes in as the empowering agent to help you withhold your foot and refrain it and restrain it from the path of sinners. Solomon tells us, One way to keep from walking in their way is to even keep a foot from their path. Because here's the fact of the matter. A foot in the path of sin, a foot in the path of sinners is just one foot away from you standing in sin. I'm not talking about distance either. (laughs) Oh, it could be that. And then standing there, you're just one motion away from walking in sin. That took my mind back to Psalms 1 and 1 where he said, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly or standeth in the way of sinners. Here among several, but just one, here is one reason why we must not even surrender a foot to the sinner's path. Another scripture in Proverbs, Landon told me tonight as I gave him all the scriptures, there's a lot of Proverbs here. He said, yeah, particles of Proverbs. It's going to be Proverbs. Proverbs 13 and verse 21 This, over the years, has become just a three-worded phrase that I've tucked in my heart and mind. It's the first three words of that. I've tucked in my heart and mind. Tuck it in your heart and mind. Evil pursueth sinners. Don't ever forget it. Evil pursueth sinners. What those three words prove is this. It's a proof how relentless a life of sin can be. It's a proof why you need to beware not even to get a foot in the way of sin. Or in the way of sinners. Because evil never stops in the pursuit of sinners. Once, it's like a snowball at the top of the hill. Once it starts rolling, it's going to accumulate. It's one of the reasons why whenever a person flirts with sin, or in our case for Proverbs, gives a foot to sin and sinners and its path, it doesn't become easier. It's going to become more difficult. It's going to become harder to deal with. And the reason why flirting with sin starts the pursuit 
of evil. That's the reason why you have people that's so hard to get out of some of the vices they are in. Because as long as they practice sin, evil is on their heels. That's the reason why we can't afford, we can't afford to flirt and play around with the way or the path of sinner. Because if you give it a foot, it's going to be tracking you down like a bloodhound. And it's not satisfied until it is totally overcome and devoured. See, we stand on the side, oh, it's no big deal. I'm stronger than that. You're strong right now because you don't have evil all over you. But the once you get the first blood of sin upon your feet, watch out. They're going to be, evil's going to come and hunt you down. To the simple-minded, Solomon even said, look at Proverbs 9, 14 and 9. And these are all under my heading of, of the one that is uh, being enticed, if you will, by a sinner or not to put their foot there. The Bible says, fools, that's the simple-minded, make a mock of, make a mock at sin. Fools make a, they're so simple-minded, they cannot pick up on the danger that is truly dangerous. They make a mock of sin. Folks, sin and the way of sin, the way of the sin, it's nothing to be trifled with. It, 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 it's, it, it's not like a something that's cute and innocent, something that you pet, something that you're going to hug, something that you're going to invite in. No, no. It's nothing to be trifled with. It's too dangerous. I know that just sounds like whatever, but it's too dangerous. You give them a foot, it'll take a mile, okay? If you give them a foot, they're going to take a mile. The Amplified says it like this. Fools make a mock at sin, and sin mocks the fool. Mm-hmm. That's where you find yourself if you're going to say, well, it's no big deal. It'll become a big deal. A common expression I heard when I was growing up, and you probably have heard as well, sin will take you farther than you want to go. Right? It'll keep you longer than you want to stay. It'll cost you more than you're willing or want to pay. You know what that tells me? Refrain and restrain your foot from the path. Amen. Refrain from the path. Look now, Proverbs 1, verse 17. Proverbs 1 and verse 17. When a bird, this is still in the setting of these people that's trying to convey or, or persuade a young man during their path of sin, go do what we do, all these things. The Bible says when a bird sees a trap, I'm reading from the Living Bible. When a bird sees a trap being set, it stays away. When a bird sees a trap being set, it stays away. <laughs> now, traps take on a couple different characteristics. Number one, there is a trap that may be visible, but it's baited. Okay? And then there's a trap that just may be hidden or invisible. Proverb tells us, it seems like common sense, but he says, I'm talking to the simple-minded young people and the wise. The proverb tells us that the common sense of a bird will cause the bird to stay away from a visible spreading of a net. So I'm not going there. I'm a bird. You might call me bird brain, but this bird brain knows well enough. If I see the spreading of the net, stay away. And to us, that seems preposterous. To us, it seems, man, it's ridiculous to think that a bird 
would go headlong into a trap that it sees set for it right before it. However, (laughs) simple-minded. However, I see people all the time that ignore every sign of danger and go places and participate in things that have the potential to ensnare them. It's all been said. Fools mock sin. Fools mock sin. And one might wonder how in the world, how, how can a person, why is it that isn't there, why wouldn't they be deterred by a visible trap? I mean, if it's like the burden spread out before them, why wouldn't a person be deterred? Hey, I see that's a trap. I acknowledge that's a trap. And I'm going to walk straight into the trap. Why wouldn't they be deterred by a visible trap? Now, here's my answer to you. The answer is the visible trap usually has a bait. All right? And when the bait is alluring enough to the victim, it blinds them to the trap. Seen or unseen, the trap is typically always invisible. Even if it is visible physically, if the bait is desirable. Now, as an outsider, Sister Sheila, I see someone, I see the trap clear as a day. I know they can see it, Brother Fred. What in the world? Can't they see this? Can't they see what's going on? I'm saying, what is their deal? The deal is this. The bait on that trap is desirable to them and maybe not to you. And you're able to see the trap because the bait isn't desirable to you. But if the bait was changed, you might be blinded by the same. Someone say amen. Have you ever seen something happen? Just thought, why did they do that? In church life? Why did they do that? Why did they say that? I shake my head sometimes. Why do they post that? Seems outrageous. Seems silly. But it's just the bait has no pull on you. Have you ever been unsuccessful catching some varmint around your house? Hmm? You had a trap. Perhaps it was a visible trap. And you was unsuccessful. And the reason why? Possibly is that what you were trying to trap wasn't interested in your bait. They never even touched what I put on there. They never even pushed the thing. They didn't even take note. They're not interested in the bait. But if you get the bait right, you'll get the varmint. Same trap. Just change the bait. And so there is a message here that tells us that we must see a trap as a trap. And the way that we're successful in doing that, wisdom begins with the fear or an awareness of God. Mm-hmm. So, Brother McGee, how am I going to see a physical trap when it's baited to what I have a propensity toward? You need a God awareness in your life. You need a God awareness in your life. Because a God awareness in your life can say, I see the bait, whatever it may be. It, 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 that, that's lust. That's some ill-clad lady walking. I see the trap. I acknowledge the trap. That's something alluring to me, but hold on. I got a God consciousness. I know that doesn't please the Lord. I know that the end of this result is not going to be favorable in the eyes of God. 
You understand what that does? That opens up blinded eyes. That opens up blinded eyes whenever we have a wisdom that first begins and starts. Its place of origin is with a God awareness in our life. Solomon is saying that's what we need. We need that God awareness in our life. It'll help us just in everyday living. Everyday living. Solomon portrays in in Proverbs chapter number one here. He portrays wisdom as a lady. I said that from the beginning. He he portrays uh, her in the female gender. He depicts her. You'll read in Proverbs chapter one. He he depicts her as though she's standing there crying out to anybody in earshot. Hear what I have to say. Hear my instruction. Uh, and, And while she's saying all this and she wants to be heard by all, she's being ignored by most. She wants everybody to hear, but not everybody's listening. They might be hearing, but they're not listening. And so Solomon records for us in the closing verses of chapter number one, the end result of having not paid attention to the voice of wisdom in our lives. The end result of not choosing the fear of the Lord, not not choosing having awareness of God in our lives. He says in Proverbs 1, verses 39 through 31, you can read it in the King James. I'm going to read it to you in the Jerusalem Bible. I'm hitting them all tonight. Amen. The Bible says they despise knowledge. These are those that have not taken advantage of wisdom. They've despised knowledge. They have no love for the fear of Yahweh. So there's that God awareness. They would take no advice from me and spurn all my warnings. So, as a result, they must eat fruits of their own courses and choke themselves with their own scheming. So he's saying the tragedy of lacking a God awareness or a God consciousness is this, that whenever you reject the counsel of God and reject even the reproof of God, Do you know that when God reproves you, that's really his counsel? You realize that times when God says no, that that's his counsel? He says, so when you reject the counsel of God and the reproof of God, you are in essence rejecting the wisdom of God. And therefore, since that's where it starts, that awareness, that consciousness of God, you are going to lack wisdom. And if you choose that path, Solomon is saying, if that's what you choose, a path of rejecting all that, then then you have chosen to learn the hard way. You have chosen then your own way. And always remember, the hard way is normally our way. (laughs) It's our way. Whenever I read the book of Ruth, such a precious book, Ruth the Moabitess, that comes back with her mother-in-law, Naomi, to Bethlehem, Judea. She, she left her people, left her family, left her deceased husband in the ground back in Moab. And in Ruth chapter 2, whenever Ruth has come back, she's going to do uh, what she needs to do to provide food for she and her mother-in-law and help out in whatever way she can. And in chapter 2, after this is, this is the story that's indicating her gleaning in the field of Boaz, that after Ruth's first day of gleaning among the fields of Boaz, the Bible says that she brought home about an ephah of barley to her mother-in-law, Naomi. And Naomi is so proud of her and actually taken back a little bit about the amount of barley that she has brought home. And she even inquires about where she gleaned that day. And it so happens that Naomi, or rather Ruth, had gleaned in the field of Boaz, which was a relative of Naomi. 
homies. But although that's where she started, she could have gleaned in other fields. We know this according to Scripture. She could have gleaned in several other fields and this day went to this one or even gleaned there half of the day and went to another field for half of the day. But it was because of the urging of Boaz that Ruth remains in his field to glean there the rest of that day and for the days that would follow. I'm just trying to draw a point here. Notice, had she rejected the counsel of Boaz, she would have, listen to me very clearly because this is depicted in chapter 2 of Ruth. If she would have rejected the counsel of Boaz, Ruth would have only brought home what she was capable of gleaning that day from the corners in the field, that which was normally left for people of her kind or for what was accidentally dropped from the gleaners. She would only have brought home what she could have gleaned that day. But Boaz said, you need to stay right here in my field. Don't go to another. I'll make sure no man lays a hand upon you. And as a result of that, look, this is what happens in addition whenever you will be obedient to counsel. As a result of her being obedient to counsel, the Bible says at mealtime, when they paused to rest from gleaning, that Boaz called Ruth over at mealtime and gave her some parched corn, some bread. This was not typical just for every other person that's out there gleaning the scraps. He gave her some bread and allowed her to dip her morsel in the vinegar that they had provided there. He advised his servants. He says, Ruth here is going to glean the field. This is not necessarily in her earshot. He's telling them privately she's going to be gleaning here in the field. He says, let her glean even among the sheaves. This isn't now what's accidentally being dropped. He's saying, let her purposely get up here where the sheaves are and glean. And then he says, let some handfuls of purpose. Basically saying, let some fall on purpose for her. Now, had she just went her own way, doing her own thing and rejected his counsel, she would have only went home with what she was capable of gleaning. But because she listened to the counsel of Boaz, not only did she have what she could glean, but she additionally took home what he literally gave. <laughs> that changes the dynamics of it. I don't want to go the road of hard knock, sister, sister uh, Jessup. I don't want to just go home with what I can get. I want to go home with what he can give. Amen. And that's all about whether or not I'm following the wisdom or the counsel or keeping a God awareness in my life, not rejecting not that, not shrugging that off as of no importance. No, inclining my ear and inclining my life to having a God conscious, consciousness. It's kind of similar, you know, in modern day, you get something new and it says on the side, some assembly required. And there's two types of people. Those that read the instruction, those that say, I know how to do this. I'm a man mechanically inclined. And those that know how to do it, boy, they're going away and they're putting together and that goes with that and that's where they, those screws are that length and they probably go through there and they're doing everything. I mean, how hard could it be, right? Such a genius of mechanical things like me. And somewhere along the way, you've invested the time, you've been mechanic and you've been putting everything together, man, right where you think it should go. Whenever you get done, you have more extra pieces than what it says you should have extra pieces and not everything swings the way it should swing or turn the way it should turn. And it kind of grinds in certain areas. You're like, what is the deal? And then it's at that moment in time, you get out the instruction manual that starts at A and gets in triple letters. A, 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 and B, 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 and C, C, C. And you start going along the process. You're like, aha, that's what I did wrong. 
You know what Solomon's saying? He's saying, I have people just like you. He said, I'm trying to warn you. Follow the instructions rather than doing it your way and then having to backtrack and say, oh, that's how it's done. Consult wisdom, if you will. Be mindful, if you will, of the Lord before the fact rather than after the fact. Wouldn't it be great if we would consult God before we get ourselves in places rather than after we get ourselves in places? I mean, it, isn't that something just to think about? That I'm going to talk, I'm going to, I'm going to see what the counsel of the Lord would say on this matter before I get waist deep in it. And I got to swim back to shore. <laughs> because the difference in the two, again, is either getting what you can get or getting what he can give. And I guarantee you one thing is for sure. One's definitely going to be better than the other. And so the whole scope here, the first chapter of Proverbs, and I'm, I'm coming to a close, 42 minutes. That's what happens when you've been preaching 20 minutes in prison. But we took 10-pound bags, and I shoved it in 5-pound ones. <laughs> so the concept is this. Wisdom starts with God. And here's the fact of the matter. It starts with God. It ends with God. But our real-life living is just not about spiritual speaking in tongues, having all nine gifts of the Spirit, all nine fruits of the Spirit. It's about other things we'll look at along the way through Proverbs that if you owe somebody money and you have the money to do it today, why do you wait till tomorrow? It's just real practical. It's about talking about things that where there is no wood, the fire goeth out. <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? It's not about having all, it's not all about visions and dreams. It's about living life with a God consciousness. If you'll stand with me here this evening. I'm wowed every time I read the book of Proverbs. And I've, you know, I read it so many times. But I'm wowed every time. I read it again and I'm like, there's times I'll stop. Dear, look at this. Listen to this. It is just because it's, it's right where we walk every day. It's right where we talk every day. It's, it's right in the relationships that we have with people every day. Right here in the pages of Scripture on how to do it successfully by having a God consciousness in those things we say, do, and participate in. Let's go to the Lord right now in prayer. Father, I need you tonight. I pray, oh, Lord Jesus, that you would help me, Lord, in my life, whether I am, Lord, quote, unquote, the simple-minded, the young, Lord Jesus, or one that would be deemed as wise. God, for we all need to know wisdom, and we need, Lord, to be aware of potential dangers, and we need to become wiser so that we can be leaders in chart paths. I pray, God, for others. I pray, oh, Lord God, let the fear of the Lord, the reverence of the Lord, the consciousness and the awareness of God, Lord, be the beginning, be the very fountainhead of all wisdom. I pray, oh God, today, Lord, if we will have a consciousness of those things in our business affairs, in our everyday living, in everyday relationships, in the quarrels, Lord Jesus, in the disagreements that take place, God, then we will be, Lord, a whole lot more successful on the backside of the matter, God, than we would if we were to try to go alone at it. I pray, God, as wisdom is crying, help me, Lord, to lend an ear to its voice, not to reject its counsel, not to reject, Lord Jesus, 
is what it is saying. But God, I pray, oh Lord, tonight, God, to take the words that it says and hide it in my heart and in my mind to help me, Lord Jesus, in my everyday affairs. I pray, oh God, today, Lord, you're able to touch each and every individual under the sound of my voice. God, those that are at home tonight, Lord, sick or unable to be here for whatever the sundry of reasons may be. I pray, God, you would make them well, whole, Lord, and capable of being in the house of God, Lord Jesus, this Sunday, Lord, with a desire and appetite for the things that be of God. In the lovely name of Jesus Christ that I pray and the church say amen. Amen. God bless you in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you and have a blessed day.